And she named him Moses because she drew him up out of the water. What was her name? What were any of their names? She named him Moses, drawn up out of the water to become the liberator of a people. She named him Moses, a name that we proclaim to be the father of many faiths. She named him Moses, the first one to enter into the presence of the great I Am, to climb the mountain with fire and cloud, to receive the covenant of promise for a people. Moses, who made a way through the Red Sea with Pharaoh's armies behind him and the people that he was leading in Exodus liberation from slavery. His name is Moses, the dream of God. Yet, there were some other happenings at the river before Moses was drawn up. That river that many call the river of life, that river that is symbolic of the depths of our souls, the river that runs through and is crossed and opened, that floods, that is the source of life and baptism, death and drowning, that river. There was much happening in that river before the one who was drawn up came. We hear today that it was the place of death that Pharaoh had decreed for all the male babies of the Hebrew people. We hear that he asked the midwives to kill the babies that were born male. At another portion of this text, it says to throw them and drown them in the river. This river that Moses is drawn out of was meant to be the place where he drowned, yet he did not. Moses was drawn up out of the river because there were other women who went to the river before him. You see, this seems like it may be a story about the dream of liberation for a people, and it is. It is also a story about a river of dreams. Dreams that had risen in the lives of unnamed women, marginalized, oppressed, inconsequential women. What if I told you that this story that you heard today is actually the story of the parting of the Red Sea? What if I suggested to you that today you have already heard the story of the covenant on Mount Sinai? 
What if I told you that the story that you heard today was the story of the people crossing the wilderness desert, making their way in a new land, seeking God's blessing in the hopeless places and receiving manna from heaven? What if I told you that the story you heard today is all of those stories as they were first dreamt? You see, there were those midwives. We do get their names, yes? Shipra and Pua. We get their names. And those midwives, they were lowly Hebrew women. Let's be very clear, we kind of get the picture, but let's just really zone in on this for a moment. We're talking about women who are part of an already oppressed group of people who are largely included in the society as slaves and servants, hard laborers. And they are women who do messy women's work. They bring their hands, their hearts, their lives into the bearing place where birthing happens, where life and death in all its messiness occur. These are not women of high, high repute within the grand social scheme. They do not have a great deal of power in any leverageable way. And yet, commanded by the Pharaoh himself, these lowly women resist. Let's just imagine that for a moment. You, as an oppressed human being of a marginalized class, are called in by the leader of the ruling class and directed to take a certain action, and you choose instead to resist, knowing what the cost might be. This is somebody asking them to perform death. The risk is great that they themselves might be put to death should they resist, and yet they do. These Hebrew midwives have a dream deep within them. It is not their dream, it is a dream, it is the dream of the possibility that even in the face of death, life might rise. And so in their choice to honor with courage an unthinkable risk, they part the waters of death so that Moses' birth might pass through on dry land. The dream of the parting of the Red Sea begins in these women's dream of life, lifted out of the death-dealing waters. And then, of course, there is Moses' mother, and what was her name? Oh, her name was Yaakovet. And Yaakovet had a dream rising within her. But she too was one of those lowly Hebrew women. Under penalty of death, she chose to raise a child in secret to the point where she could hold that dream in no longer. 
when it was too viable, too lively, too full of the goodness and grace that God had bestowed in it to hold close any longer. And yet, what choice did she have? She went down to the river. And she went down to the river with this dream of life, and she created for it a container and then let it go. She gave herself to the dream and then let the dream go on the river of life, not knowing, as we have already acknowledged, whether the river of life might turn at any current and become the river of death. What choice had she but the dream of devotion that was within her, choosing to move into the place where she said with great power, all I know is this is what I am. I am the birther of life. That is what I am, and all I can do in this place is to release that life and let it go. The great I am echoes through and through and through the dream of Yahweh and her willingness to meet life and death and proclaim herself, this I am, the birther of life. And what about Moses' sister there right on the edge of the river? What was her name? Miriam. Miriam. And there is Miriam hiding in the wild rushes along the banks, watching as her mother takes her baby brother and sets him loose into the current. Does she turn away? Does she weep? Does she run and hide? No. Miriam stays on the edges of life and death and climbs through the reeds and the rushes and follows the basket where it goes, wondering what will be the future for her little brother and perhaps for herself. She follows it and even crosses over to get to the other side when she sees some new development occurring. Let's remember, we know how the story goes, but she did not. Here comes not the Pharaoh, but the Pharaoh's daughter to investigate this act of treason, this risky business that a number of her women have brought into the world and the fate of her baby brother held in the balance. Does she hold back when the discovery is made? No. This young girl child crosses over the banks of the river and approaches the Pharaoh's daughter and as a young Hebrew girl offers a solution to the dilemma before them. She is inventive and daring and creates a way for life to happen, blessing and provision beyond all measure. It is almost like manna from heaven falling in the wild place, a provision beyond imagination that this princess would lift the life of this child, this dream child, this life child into her arms and into the palace safety. And she makes way for this child to get nurtured and reestablishes community between her mother and Moses 
So the bond that seemed that it might have been broken is actually a covenant that is held forth for all time. The mother is able to nourish the child and let him go once again. Miriam, in her the dream of the one who provides food in the place of starvation, manna in the wilderness, hope where there is no hope, the dream of that dreamer in her life, bearing forth. And then, of course, there is the often unrecognized wonder of the Pharaoh's daughter. What was her name? This took a little investigation, I must admit. <laughs> uh, she is not named in our scriptures, although in the Jewish Midrash, she is named. And she is named Bitya, which is very similar to Bitumen, which is the material that created the seaworthy craft of Moses. And Bitya, she comes down to the edge of the water and reaches through her privilege and reaches through the risk because let us remember, she may have been a privileged woman, but she was a kept woman nonetheless. And she was acting in direct violation of her own father's decree. The risk that she was taking was substantial. However, there was a dream in her about what would it mean to honor life wherever it would come. There was a dream in her that could not be held back, that came forward at the edge of the river about what would it mean to share the promise and provision of my life that other life might know abundance, promise, and care. And so she risks at the river for life. All of these stories are rich. They're rich in themselves. They're a rich heritage. They're rich with meaning and depth. And I'm going to suggest, people of God, that they are current stories. In doing my journey with these wild women, I was saying to some of us beforehand, I didn't get much sleep this weekend. These women were just really keeping me up. Some of you are laughing a little too happily at that. <laughs> but it's because I was trying to ask them, what is your story? What do you need to say? And I heard so many things. And one of the things was I did a lot of investigation about midwifery. Now, I must admit, as a childless woman who spends a good deal of my time in a community that has a very mixed experience of our ability to bear our own children. I had not a lot of experience, a lot of understanding about the movement for midwifery. Some of you may, but I did not. But here is one of the things that I learned, that there is an upsurgence right now, globally, and very much in the United States and other developed countries, for the power of midwives as a solution to the disproportionate deaths of infants of color in the United States. Do you know that the statistics are, if you are a woman of color, even if you are exactly the same economically in terms of education, 
in terms of region where you live, in every other aspect as perhaps myself, a Caucasian counterpart, you are still four times more likely to die in childbirth in this country, this great nation. Four times. And the same statistic holds true for the children. That children of color are three to four times more likely to die during the period that they would claim infant mortality rates than white counterparts in our nation, even with all other factors being held static. I was compelled. I was outraged. I was really pretty dumbfounded. How could this be, I wondered. And I learned a little bit more. And how this can be is that the disparities in lifelong healthcare access and the disparities in lifelong experiences of stress continue to impact the viability of life at that crucial moment of birth. That communities that are traditionally and consistently disempowered around their ability to find solid and sustaining employment, adequate and very resourced healthcare options, find in the culmination of a lifelong experience communally of stress, anxiety, diminished nutrition, diminished access to healthy food because it costs more and those supermarkets are not in their neighborhoods, find where a Whole Foods is and I will show you the affluence in a community. That we do not understand that all of this ends up at the river of life. And that the dreams of all of our peoples show up there. And for some, it still is the case that one out of four of those children is going in the river just because they're a Hebrew baby, so to speak. And yet there is joy and power and hope. Because what the midwives movement is calling us to is a recognition of several things. They say, and let me be clear, the midwives are of all races and ethnicities and all economic origins. They're just a group of wild women who are aware that the power of their life-giving daring and their willingness to connect that to a liberation of people is desperately needed in our world. And so they say things like this. There is an African proverb that says, if you teach a man a lesson, you teach an individual. If you teach a woman, you teach a nation. Not because women are better than men, but because of the social position that women's networks connect to, the child raising, the largely uh, those responsible for education and care of the young and the elderly. Those lessons have movement, those dreams pour out from the river into the life of the people, just like Shipra and Pua had a dream that made its way through Moses, just like Yahved 
had a dream that made her way in through Moses, just like Miriam and Bitya had dreams that made their ways through the life of this one for the liberation of all. The midwife movement calls us to recognize, and here it is, you are a midwife. You are a midwife. We are midwives. All of us can choose the dreams of the midwives, meaning we can come down to the river of dreams and recognize that our dream is not our dream, but it is a dream for a people if we let it that our dream can be birthed from our very own bodies into the world, but if we let it loose, it can make its way to make life for many. That our dream can be a dream that crosses us through the wilderness and onto new banks, reaching out to people we might not usually connect with, with ingenuity and with grace for covenant and for life itself. And that many of us who are perhaps already blessed on the far bank, we too can come down to the river's edge and reach our arms into the reeds and pull the babies out that we find there and welcome the agency and wisdom of the young ones who say to us right there, here's how life is sustained. Let us do this together. We have a dream within us, and it is not our dream. It is the dream not only through us, but for God's people. Do you dream of healthy food for our community? Where is our local community garden? Do you dream of education that is equal for all children? Where is your vote at the school council meeting? Do you have a dream for the ability for all children to be raised in loving homes? Let us take up our activist voices and write letters as LGBT peoples with loving homes, supporting legislation that we can be foster parents and adoptive parents and share our blessings with the world. Our dreams, our passions, and our hopes are ours, but they are never ours alone. Let us come to the river, the river of dreams, following these wild women and make life for the world. Because who knows, as we draw up from the water, we might just find that liberation and the great I am are waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.